So this evening, um, we, for those of you who may not know, we at this service, I enjoy reading through and preaching through something we call the lectionary. It is a um, schedule of different passages that are set out by a specific group, uh, and it has different readings for the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospel and a Psalm. Uh, and they're set as a tool for pastors to use to preach and also for everyone. Uh, you can find it online if you're curious, and I often allow the lectionary to guide my own spiritual practice of reading through scripture during the week. So I offer that to you. But tonight's story is one that I often have trouble with, and I enjoy the lectionary because it gives me time to pause and to spend time with all different types of scripture passages, not just the ones that I like, not the ones that give me warm, gooey feelings. It allows me to sit with the Holy Spirit and ponder what it is that God is trying to say to me, even through a passage that might be difficult. Where is it that the Holy Spirit is pulling my attention? So this evening, we will hear about an encounter Jesus has with a Canaanite woman, an, an encounter that, quite frankly, troubles me. And I offer that this evening for us to ponder together. Before I read through the scripture, I invite you to think about this question. What about this story pierces your heart? Where is the Holy Spirit giving you a nudge or making you ponder longer? And I will ask that question at the end of this story, and we will have time to share together. So hear these words from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that moment. My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Holy God, May your spirit meet us in this place. May your spirit open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we might hear what it is you have to say to us, even through a passage like this. Help us to see who you are clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So friends, what is a place that the Holy Spirit drew your attention? What pierced your heart in this story? Yes, Keith. I love this story. Okay, Keith. And the reason why I love it is because the first time I read it, I was totally shocked. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So to summarize for our friends who are joining us online, Keith is very fond of this uh, passage because he feels it's a demonstrative of, of what Jesus is truly about, this inclusivity, um, and that Jesus was coming first to the children of Israel and then uh, to all the world. And so thank you, Keith. And I can probably just sit down because you, you just preached a sermon right there. Where else pierced your heart? Yes, Jacqueline. Yes. Jacqueline says he could be a little bit more tactful in the way that he approached the situation. And amen to that, sister. Roger. Say that one more time. Even dogs eat the scraps of the Lord. Goodness gracious, yes. Any others? Places that pierce your heart journey. Okay. Oh yeah, nope. She's begging for her daughter. Yes, Marcy. Very disappointed in Jesus. Yes. How awesome this woman was and disappointment with Jesus. Thank you, Marcy. <laughs> It's true that Jesus isn't portrayed favorably in this story, is he not? First, he completely ignores this woman and her plea for her daughter. Then he seems to give her the slip by placating her dire request with a common belief about the scope of what the Messiah's work and nature is on earth. And then... This idea that he was, and he came or came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then, if that wasn't enough, he likens her to a dog. Now, for us, we see dogs very in a, a very great light. They are our pets. They are loved ones. They are part of the family. They are they are seen as angelic and loyal and loved. But in those days, 
Dogs were not pets. They were seen as a nuisance, barely tolerated for their usefulness, uh, keeping other pets pests away like mice and things. But they weren't given food or scraps from the table. They had to scrounge for their own food. This isn't the picture that we have come to know of Christ, is it? So if this is different, who would you say that you have come to know Jesus to be? What is Jesus' scope of the work of his earthly mission? What would you say? This is a, a double question night. We're throwing a second question at you. So who would you say Jesus has, you have come to know Jesus as? I, hmm? Loving? Loving, open, accepting. We have come to believe that Jesus chose to become incarnate because he loves us. So that he might reconcile the whole world back to God to restore that connection and relationship between us and God for everyone, not simply those who were considered Jewish. And if that was the case, then we wouldn't be sitting here right now, would we? So if we look at that, if we consider that, knowing that Jesus came for the whole world, that is evidenced in the story immediately before this story. In the 14th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 20, uh, Jesus is speaking about a, a Jewish ritual that had been adopted by the Pharisees of washing their hands before they eat. First, he addresses the Pharisees who have called out the fact that his disciples mu must not be real Jews because they didn't take part of this hand-washing ritual before they sat down. Then, Jesus addressed the crowd that had gathered there, saying this, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, i.e., dirty hands making food dirty, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles harmful words. Finally, after that, the disciples come back to Jesus, asking him for even further clarification. And Jesus says, are you still without understanding? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. To eat with unwashed hands does not defile. You see, this was more than just a debate about appropriate rituals before eating appropriate rituals for the religious context, for salvation. It was a conversation about who is in and who is out, who is permitted to have a place at the table. For the Jewish Pharisees, those who washed their hands first were permitted to have a seat at the table. And likewise, other prescribed rituals for religious practice. And if you do not partake in those rituals, you do not gain access to the grace available at that table. However, Jesus, in this conversation, opens that doorway a little wider by pointing to the posture of the heart. And in doing so, 
Jesus made room for any Jew who did not follow the letter of the law to the T. We see him making a little more room at the table, opening the door a little wider. And haven't we seen him do this space-making, door-opening, and table-widening work in other places of Scripture, too? So when we come to passages like this that make us question and be disappointed in Jesus, the first place I go to is remind myself of those other places where Jesus' character was made plain, laid plain for me. And if we know that Jesus truly is about the work of this radical inclusion, this door-opening, way-making message, why the sudden shift in that very next encounter with this Canaanite woman? What is really going on here? And tonight, I would like to suggest that maybe... Just maybe this story isn't about Jesus at all. Maybe it's about the disciples who are present. I would bet that Jesus already knew at that moment what the disciples would be tasked to do after his ascension. Go and make disciples of all nations, even the nations you might not like. So he saw an opportunity opportunity at that moment while he was in a place that was filled with people of other nationalities. He saw an opportunity for the disciples to lead this particular encounter and to take part in witnessing the widening scope of grace for themselves. Because you see, as young children, these disciples grew up learning of the Canaanites as those people who were in the promised land that God had promised them first. And so as the Israelites approached the Jordan River, they could see the land that God had promised before them and know that people, the Canaanites, were there. And so the Canaanites were pushed out so that the nation of Israel, who had just left um, slavery in Egypt, could settle in the promised land. So from then forth, for centuries, Jewish children and Jewish people had a rift between the Canaanites who were still present. They saw them as people who were lesser, not people who were chosen by God. They were not God's children. So while the disciples might have been on board with having more lenient ritual practices, they weren't quite ready to see a wider scope of grace beyond the uh, Jewish religious context, the people who were already considered God's chosen people. And friends, isn't this unlike, is this not unlike the way that we often think about the world today? We live in a world where we are guided by the principle of who is in and who is out. Who is this way and who is that way? Who is worthy of grace and is able to call themselves good Christians 
and others who are so blasphemous that they might as well be struck by lightning the second they walk through these doors. Isn't that true about our politics? We live in a this, that, either, or, or society. And I bet within just a few seconds, you can think of someone or some group of people who, for you, are so far beyond the bounds of grace that they might as well be no better than dogs. That is the way that the Jewish people thought of the Canaanites. So Jesus, following the direction and the inclination of the disciples, begins this interaction with the Canaanite woman by responding the way that would be expected of a religious leader of the Jewish tradition. I'm sorry, this message of love and grace, it's not for people like you. But she persists. This holy perseverance, this holy stubbornness that Jan Richardson, thank you, Jan, if you watch this, uh, provided language for just earlier in this uh, time this evening. She persists throwing herself before him in a vulnerable position, saying, please help me. And at this moment, I can imagine Jesus turning to the disciples And as a great teacher would, he noticed that they were still greatly annoyed by her display. So he upped the answering, uh, the ante, garnering their attention once again. It's not fair to take food meant for the children and throw it to the dogs. But this beautifully bold and tenacious woman knew something that the disciples clearly did not. She knew that all dogs go to heaven. (laughs) Amen. That there is grace enough for even the least in the dining room of God, even if the grace can only be obtained through a mere scrap of food. A scrap of grace is all that is needed. And at the end of this exchange, Jesus did not call her a Canaanite. He called her faithful. She was faithful. He counted her as among those who were not merely in the dining room, but those seated at the everlasting table. And in doing so, Jesus turned the disciples' understanding of Jesus' purpose and their future calling and ministry on its head. This is the disciples' very first glimpse at the simple truth of God's love. God's grace is made available to all persons, especially those who are outside of the preconceived notions of who are in and who is out. There is grace enough for all. Even a mere scrap of grace is enough. So friends, if there is grace enough for this faithful woman, isn't there also grace enough for those who are utterly other from us in this room? Those ones that we assume are too far gone to be saved. 
those people who don't make the best choices, those people who don't vote the way that I would vote? Are we not like those disciples, invited by Jesus to fling wide the gates of heaven, to fling wide these doors, to fling wide our own hearts, to make space at our tables so that we can learn from one another, that we can grow together, and that God's love would be made available to every single person, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from. Because we know that Jesus came to seek and save all of God's beloved ones, even the dogs. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.